Thanks, John. Yeah, it's great to be here today on this Labor Day weekend. Uh, excited to see everyone here. And uh, really excited about uh, Joshua having you in the mix here now, too. Um, yeah, we can, we can give it up for Joshua again. Uh, as John said, jo Joshua is so, like, energized and joyful. He's just a little bit closer to God than the rest of us. He actually sits in the balcony <laughs> just because he wants to get that close to God, apparently. <laughs> but anyway, uh, it's, it's fun to be here. Um, you know, one of the best, I think, children's books ever has to be uh, Alexander's Terrible, hor Horrible, No Good, Very Bad Day. Anybody else read this? Maybe somebody read it to you when you were a kid. Maybe you read it to somebody when you had kids. Um, if you remember Alexander in this story, he wakes up with gum in his hair, uh, gets in trouble for fighting with his brother, finds out he has a cavity. He's served lima beans for dinner. Mm, that's like the worst ever, right? Okay. And then he's stuck wearing railroad pajamas to bed. Which I was kind of thinking, well, what's so bad about railroad pajamas? But anyway, that was bad for him. Uh, for Alexander, that was a horrible, terrible, no good, very bad day. And his solution, of course, is to what? Do you know? His solution is to, do you remember? Move to Australia. Move to Australia until his mom reminds him that, you know, some days are just like that. And some days bad things happen, even in Australia. Thank you very much, mom. But yeah, you know, I mean, some days bad things do happen. Some days bad things do happen, like the day you come home from work and uh, this happens. Anybody ever had that happen? You come home tired from work and you break the key in the, in the lock? That's not fun. That's a terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day. I think we would all agree, right? Or how about this? You decide to take a quick camping trip with some friends. Now, camping is always a bit of a risk, <laughs> especially if you're taking it with me because I'm a horrible camper. But if this happens, that would be a terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day. I think we all agree. And of course, there is the day or the many days here in the city, right? When you go out and you find this on your windshield. That is, all right, say it with me, right? A terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day. <laughs> I won't tell you how many times I've walked out and seen that on my windshield. When we first moved here, like 10 plus years ago, we actually had like an, a, a line item in our budget for tickets because we just had to get used to it. I'm beginning to learn now 10 years later. And, you know, we can find humor, I think, in some of these days, right? But uh, what about when the picture really is far from funny? What about when the picture isn't funny? You know, maybe when you get called into your supervisor's office and here's some terrible news. Or maybe when someone you love receives a diagnosis that's terribly frightening. Or maybe when you scroll through the news and store, it's story after story of no good, very bad stuff. And during those times, I think it's hard for us to find humor, and sometimes it can be hard to even find God. It's not only hard to find humor, it's hard sometimes, I think, to even find God. And I just want to say, if you're having a bad day, or maybe even a season of bad days like that right now, I just want to stop for a moment and assure you of this, okay? You are not alone. You are not alone. Um, you know, there are stories after stories of pain and suffering throughout Scripture. And no doubt stories today right here in this room of pain and suffering. I have my own stories. And so I just want to say, you know, if you're in a, what you might consider to be a very bad day season, you're not the first and you will not be the last to ask this question, why, why, why does God allow suffering? You know, I think it's one of life's hardest questions because it's not only uh, an intellectual question, it's also one that, that impacts us 
personally, right? You know, through our own pain or through the pain of people that we love. I mean, we, we feel this question, right? It's, it's, it's a question that's kind of raw and tender. It's almost like, a, almost like an exposed nerve when we actually address this question head on. It's not an easy question to answer. And so before we even start our search, I'm going to tell you what we're not going to do today, okay? Before we even begin to address it, I just want to tell you what we're not going to do. Uh, we're not going to solve the issue of pain and suffering in 25 minutes. John could probably do that, but no, you got me today, okay? It's just not that simple. We're also not going to minimize anybody's pain by offering simple cliches like, you know, well, everything happens for a reason. And we're not going to tell you that your situation will get better if you just have more faith because, well, that's not how God works. Instead, what we're going to do in the time that we have this morning is I, I really want to invite you, if you would, to seriously wrestle with this question and enter into a conversation today that I hope is honest and open. You know, like I said, if you're asking this question, you're in good company. You know, um, my wife lost her mom to uh, cancer when she was just four years old. Four years old. Her sister was two. Her mom was 27. I mean, how do you make sense out of that? And Scripture is full of people who couldn't find easy answers in the middle of their, their suffering. For example, uh, Naomi might be a, a name that you're not familiar with in Scripture, but Naomi uh, was an Israelite woman whose family moved to another country to escape a famine. Only once they arrived in that country, her sus- husband and her two sons died, left her abandoned, alone, by herself. The Almighty has brought misfortune on me. Naomi lamented. And so you can kind of hear in her words, can't you, that question, God, why? Why Why do you allow suffering? You know, Job is probably the most famous sufferer in all of Scripture, right? I was talking to somebody in the lobby last week about Job. He lost everything, his home, his family, his wealth, his health. And he said this, he said, I have no peace, no quietness, no rest, but only turmoil. Can you hear him asking, why do you allow suffering, God? And even the disciples, you know, Jesus' closest friends and followers, uh, wrestled with this question. When they found themselves in circumstances that threatened their well-being, they often would cry out and say, you know, don't, don't you care? God, don't you care? I mean, why? Why, 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 why do you allow suffering? And so, yes, yeah, Scripture is full of people who wrestle with this question. But today... I, for the time that we have, I want to kind of hone in on one particular person, okay? It's a very famous Bible character. So many parents want to name their children after. Habakkuk. Or do you say Habakkuk? I don't know. Does anybody, has you ever run into anybody named uh, Habakkuk? Anybody? Okay, I didn't think so. All right. Um, <laughs> it's probably um, not the most popular Bible name. And most, most of us might even be thinking, Habba who? You know, I, I couldn't help but think of Habba the Jut or Jabba the Hut or whatever it is. But Habakkuk is not someone you hear about a lot, is it? Is he? So I want to just take a minute to get to know him a little bit. Habakkuk was a 7th century prophet living in the final decades before Israel's southern kingdom was destroyed by Babylon. And it was a time of injustice and idolatry in Israel. But unlike other prophets, Habakkuk 
doesn't call Israel to repent. Most prophets are known for calling out the people of Israel to repent, right? Turn to God, turn away from whatever it is that they've been, you know, worshiping or turning towards and turn towards God. But Habakkuk is a little bit different. Instead, Habakkuk's words, if you read his short book in the Bible, are actually addressed to God. He's speaking to God. And the book of Habakkuk documents his struggle to believe that God is good when there is so much pain and suffering all around him. And his short book starts with these desperate words. All right? How long, O Lord, must I call for help? This is the beginning of his book, okay? How long must I call for help? But you do not listen. Violence is everywhere. I cry, but you do not come to save. Must I forever see these evil deeds? Why must I watch all this misery? Wherever I look, I see destruction and violence. Now, I don't know about you, but when I look at those words, even though they were written, you know, centuries ago, they could have easily been written today, right? We could easily cry, how long the Lord must be called for help as we watch uh, young men killed on the streets of our city week after week, right? We could easily say violence is everywhere as we watch, you know, a senseless war continue um, in Ukraine and in other parts of the world, of course, too. We could easily say, must we forever see these evil deeds as we grieve innocent children and their teachers gunned down in school shootings like we've seen in Uvalde, Texas? You see, the questions Habakkuk asks are the questions we are still asking today. God, why did you let this happen? Don't you care about this pain? Why don't you do something? And these are not only questions we ask about, you know, world events and stories we read in the news. These are um, deeply personal questions, questions we ask about our own suffering. Uh, Jen Pedley, someone that I've known for good night, probably 15 years or more now, uh, a friend of ours from uh, back when we lived out in, the, out in the suburbs. And she was a part of our Naperville Yellow Box location. She was courageously willing to share her family story. And here's the first part of it. My name is Jen. My husband Ken and I first began attending community in 2002. We moved away for a few years to Michigan and we've been back since 2015. We have a 22 year old son named Asher and we have a 15 year old son who lives in heaven. He'll be forever 15. When we moved back to Illinois, um, Asher was 15 and Isaac was 13. Isaac, he was a great kid, of course. He was an artist, he was um, a musician, he was an athlete, he was smart academically. He had a little bit of everything. Isaac did have anxiety. He definitely suffered from some anxiety. Um, we did get him some help. He learned a ton. He, he incorporated all of these breathing exercises into his life. We think now in retrospect that the anxiety um, possibly combined with some medication that he was on um, may have added to his impulsivity as a 15-year-old boy. And one day he was having a very bad day and um, he made an impulsive decision. You only get to make once. and. Um, we lost him to suicide. He was 15 and uh, a couple of months old. It just was a very impulsive, from, from all appearances, it was an extremely impulsive decision. 
The first year after Isaac died, it is a lot of it's a blur. You know, the intense grief, the intense pain, the, the it's always present. And it, I, I've never felt so much unrelenting pain and so much unrelenting love at the same time. A and a lot of asking why, you know, why us, why this, why Isaac? And, and what kind of a legacy can you have when you've only lived 15 years? It was very, um, it was just a lot of unanswered questions that we know will not be answered here on Earth. My husband, Ken, struggles with the idea of, of Jesus and, and, you know, his heartbreaking, having to allow evil to win in this situation. When I say win, I don't mean win ultimately because Isaac is, he's having a great time in heaven. I, I picture him there every day. But, you know, his guardian angel had to stand down that day and not protect him in ways that maybe he had been protecting him that, you know, we have no idea. And, and that's painful to think about the evil in the world and, and how it operated that day, because I just believe that's part of what, not part, a lot of what caused our suffering. I remember when the, that happened, and man, I, I just can't even comprehend the depth of that pain. I can't even imagine it. I'm just grateful for her courage to share with us. But you know, I also know that pain and suffering are a part of life. No one escapes it. I mean, I don't carry pain like that. <laughs> but I do carry my own stories of pain. I know you do too, and it, it's natural to question God when we experience pain and suffering. And so what I'd like for us to do today is maybe set aside the why question for a few moments, and instead I want us to ask a where question. All right, set aside the why question for just a moment, and instead I want us to ask the question, where is God in our pain and suffering? Can we find God in the darkest moments? Where can we discover him in the midst of our pain? See, I think the best place for us to look for God in the midst of our pain is to look to Jesus because, you see, in Jesus we find a God who suffered. Let me say it again. I think the best place for us to look for God in pain and suffering is to look to Jesus because in Jesus we find our God who experienced suffering. Remember, God didn't come to earth to, to sit on the throne. No, he came to what? He came to die on the cross. He came to rescue a world that's been uh, thoroughly corrupted by sin and evil. He refused to leave us alone in the darkness that so wants to separate us from God. Jesus came after us and he suffered for it. Um, writing centuries before Jesus' birth, Isaiah the prophet gave us this description to help us recognize our Savior. Again, remember this is centuries before Jesus was even born and he, and he described Jesus like this. He said he was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering, Familiar with pain, like one from whom people hide their faces, he was despised and we held him in low esteem. See, centuries before Jesus' birth, 
Isaiah was speaking of him and saying that Jesus knows what it's like to suffer and endure pain. And not only that, Jesus was profoundly shaken by it. Yeah, in the garden on the night before, he was arrested. Jesus was deeply distressed and troubled. His soul was overwhelmed with sorrow, Scripture says, to the point of death. Luke, the, the doctor and historian, says his stress was overwhelming, so, so overwhelmed that he literally sweat drops of blood. He showed every indication of physical shock. Jesus begged the Father to save him from what was about to happen. He, he wanted to escape the pain. And on the cross, he cried out in despair. He felt abandoned. You see, in Jesus, our suffering Savior, we discover that even the best of the good suffer. And it's even okay for God not to be okay. You see, in Jesus, we see that even the best of the good suffer. And that even with God, we can see that with God even, it was okay not to be okay. Uh, Jesus knows firsthand despair, rejection, pain, loneliness, grief, torture. He didn't numb himself to it. He didn't smile and say, well, everything happens for a reason. No, he experienced it. He lived it. And see, if we will search for God in the midst of our pain and suffering, we will find Jesus a God who understands our pain, a God who identifies with us in our suffering, a God who has genuine empathy for us in our suffering. He is a co-sufferer. Um, Rabbi, Rabbi uh, Elliot Kukla tells a story of a woman who he knew who had a traumatic brain injury that caused her to have these seizures that would literally cause her to pass out and, and end up on the floor. And as you can imagine, they were very scary and, and quite humiliating. And she told Rabbi Kukla that she would often come to lying on the floor surrounded by people who were doing everything they could possibly do to get her up off the floor. And then she told them this. What I think was happening was people were so uncomfortable with an adult lying on the floor in public. What I really needed was for someone to get down on the floor with me. And isn't that what we need? In our pain and suffering, we need someone to get down on the ground with us. Someone who's not afraid to face our struggles with us and to suffer alongside us, what we need is someone to empathize with us, and that's exactly what God has done for us in Jesus. Author Brene Brown, one of the foremost experts on empathy, says empathy is feeling with people. Empathy is simply feeling with people. And what we need, I think, in our darkest moments is someone who will feel with us. Think about when you've been there. Didn't you just kind of need someone to feel with you? You know, my, my kids, they're growing up, they're adults now in their, in their 20s, and they don't live around here anymore. And uh, thankfully, every once in a while, they'll call home. And uh, just this week, my daughter was calling, and she was going through some really tough stuff at work. And, you know, it became very clear. She doesn't really want my advice. <laughs> She doesn't really want my direction. She wants me to just kind of like feel with her. Now, sometimes I wish she would feel like doing what I tell her to do, but <laughs> that's not really my role anymore. What we need, folks, is connection. Do you feel that? We need connection. Um, John, I'm going to pick on you for a minute, okay? <laughs> you have no choice. <laughs> but, I mean, imagine, John, a scenario where, you know, you've fallen down into a, a deep, dark hole, right? 
and you shout from the bottom, I'm stuck, I'm overwhelmed. And then I peer over that hole and I say, wow, that must really be hard. But you know, bad things happen for a reason. How does that make you feel? <laughs> Worse than ever, right? <laughs> what I'm actually doing is creating more distance, less connection. I'm making that person feel even more isolated. Brene Brown, again, she says this. She says, if I share something with you that's very difficult, I'd rather you say, I don't even know what to say right now. I'm just so glad you told me. Isn't that helpful? I don't even know what to say right now. I'm just glad you told me because the truth is rarely can a response make something better. What makes something better is connection. What someone needs is someone who knows what it's like to be down there, who knows what it's like to feel alone, someone who will climb down into the hole with them. What is needed is connection. A book that has probably impacted me more than any other on this topic is written by uh, Henry Nouwen. It's titled Wounded Healer, and he says this. He says, who can listen to a story of loneliness and despair without taking the risk of experiencing similar pains in his own heart and even losing his precious peace of mind. In short, who can take away suffering without entering it? And that's what we have in Jesus, folks. That's what he offers us in our suffering. And if we let him, he'll climb down in our place of suffering and offer us compassion and connection no, Jesus' pain and suffering doesn't answer the question, why does God allow it? But it does tell us what the answer is not. It can't be that he doesn't love us. It can't be that he doesn't care. No, our God takes our pain and suffering so seriously that he was willing to take it on himself. I'm sorry if you're open for an answer to this one. <laughs> we don't have any easy answers today when it comes to this question of why does God allow pain and suffering. But do know this, Jesus understands our pain and he wants us to bring our sorrow and our pain to him and to turn to him because he understands. In fact, if we go back to our friend, the prophet Habakkuk, he surveyed all the pain surrounding him and he concluded that the only way to face it was with God. He said, look at the proud. They trust in themselves and their lives are crooked. But the righteous, those who are rightly connected to God, will live by their faithfulness to God. Stay faithful to God, Habakkuk says. Despite all that you're enduring, remaining close to him is the best way forward. In our pain and suffering, we either choose to move forward towards God or we choose to move away from God. And Habakkuk urges us to move towards God. I mean, think about this. Think about this. What if the only way we can truly come to know Jesus is to know him in the midst of our pain? Think about that. What if the only way we can truly and fully and completely get to know Jesus is to know him in the midst of our pain? Author Lena Abajamra writes, what if the very fellowship of his suffering is meant to draw us closer to him? What if our very pain is meant to help us see him more clearly? So where is God in the midst of our suffering and pain? He's here, drawing near. And that's what the Pedley family is holding on to. 
That's what's getting them through what they're going through. And here's Jen with more of their story. Grief is not a linear process, and people think that a lot. It's hard because you think you're doing better, you think you're making um, progress, you know, you're moving forward. And then the next day, you can't get out of bed. And that's grief. It, it ebbs and flows, it's waves. It's hard to know where you're at in that process. And um, I, we get that. Isaac, uh, as, a, as a middle school boy, <laughs> he loved mod pizza. It opened in downtown Naperville shortly after we moved here, and, and he was there every day. They called Isaac the mayor of Maud, like because he was there so often and because he brought all his friends in and told everyone about Maud, and he just, he was their spokesman. After he died, um, Maud Pizza is owned by a couple in um, Seattle, and they have four boys themselves. And I wanted them to know how much Maude had meant to him. And long story short, they, they named a pizza after Isaac, the Isaac Pizza. And every pizza they sold, they gave a dollar to the Jed Foundation. Every new mod or any remodeled mod is going to have Isaac's picture on the mural. So they call it the Wall of Fame. He's now one of five photos that'll be in every mod. So everyone knows, will know his name. Who would have thought a pizza place would become a big part of my, my teenage boy's legacy? I wouldn't have ever seen it coming, but it's wonderful. It's wonderful. And there are 550 mods all over the United States, so everywhere we go, we can always drop in and, and, and find some, a new friend, basically, because <laughs> they all know Isaac. Suffering, say it's like a, a, a ball, a sphere, and you know, when you first, when Isaac first died, this, this ball is, you know, it's in your chest, it's a rock, it's a hard, and it takes up so much room, and it's all you can think about, and it's um, cold and hard and difficult and painful, and, and you think as time goes by that's going to get smaller and easier, but really the suffering stays the same, but it's, it's, it's us, it's we who grow and expand and, and make more room for the suffering. So now I, I can have joy, um, but I will still always have pain at the same time. I can be happy for my, my friend's kids who, who hit milestones like graduation and going away to college and um, get married at the very same time that I'm, I'm grieving my loss of that with Isaac. I'm not grateful for the suffering. I think that that would be very hard to say. I, I'm grateful for some of the things the suffering have brought me. It's brought me community, people in my life who I know would go to the ends of the earth for me, because they have, frankly. It's brought me a community of other moms who have lost kids and have, who know this kind of grief and this kind of suffering and it's given me opportunities to now support them and, and through helping other people heal, you heal. Jesus has been real. I feel him weeping with me. And I know that he suffered as an, as an example. 
and um, as a way to suffer well, I think. And that, that's personal to me. I really love how she said that joy and pain can coexist. And I think we forget that, don't we? But they really can. And just kind of a sidebar, uh, the person that actually produced this uh, video, um, he's on our staff, but he's also their next door neighbors. And uh, they provided like unbelievable community for that family um, and continue to, you know, how many years later. And I just want to say too, and I know this is the heart of John and Jen and now Joshua and Liz, Lizzie and the rest of us, that's the kind of community we want to be. We're not going to give you pet answers because there aren't any easy answers, but we want to be that for you. We want to be down on the ground with you, whatever it is you might be going through. And I don't know what suffering you're going through today. Maybe some of you are really struggling, but I want you to know that Jesus loves you. He will never leave you. He understands your pain because he experienced those things. But I also want you to know today that he also experienced resurrection. And when he rose from the dead, he opened up the way for a new life, a life of hope, a life without suffering, without death. And so we can experience his redemptive power in our suffering right now, but we can also experience a hope that leads us into a life that Jesus' close friend and follower John describes when he says, I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things have passed away. See, Jesus ultimately is preparing a place for us where there is no more death, no more crying, no more pain, no more sorrow. And that's our future reality. That's our ultimate hope. It's why Jesus reminds us in this world, you will have trouble. He doesn't say you might or you could. He says you will, but take heart. I have overcome the world. Ultimately, I have overcome the world. Ultimately, because of Jesus, our pain won't last forever. Our suffering will not have the last word. Author Frederick Buechner reminds us, he says, here's the world. Beautiful and terrible things will happen. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid because Jesus loves you. And he will never, ever, ever, ever leave you. And I have heard that since I was like this big, and I still need to hear it over and over and over again. All right? All right, let's pray. Father God, thank you for just the crazy reminder that Jesus came as God. And he didn't come to sit on a throne. He literally came to die on a cross, to suffer on our behalf. And so he knows what it's like. And so God, I would pray that in our pain, in our suffering, in whatever difficulties that life brings our way, we would recognize you, we'd recognize Jesus as a co-sufferer, someone who, who gets it, who is on the ground with us. And Father, help us to also be a community that reflects the character of Christ and gets on the ground together 
and suffers along with each other. We pray all this in your son Jesus' name. Amen.